0: Alright, tonight at Ground Zero Meetings, we're going to continue down our, our teachings for the Bible. And tonight's lesson is, is on Job, which is, which is interesting. You know, as I've been really looking at, you know, the Bible, you know, I've never tried to preach in this way. I've never gone through the Bible in this manner. Um, that It's interesting how there's so many different components that are happening at the same time. You know, I ordered a a biblical timeline, and it and it showed up this morning. And we were just briefly looking at it, and it and it shows like, you know, as things are are starting, and who's you know was alive when, and what you know started this, and what started there, and this is when China was, you know, born, and this is when Japan was born, and this is when Persia was born, and this was when Greece was born, and it kind of the timeline kind of shows what was going on in the Bible. You know, and and soon we're gonna be getting into the major and minor prophets. You know, and as you read it as a book, you would think that one is right after the other because you're reading it as a, a book, a chapter, a book, a chapter, you know, but it's not really, you know, that way because on a timeline scale, a lot of these things are all happening at the same time. So, you know, I never really realized how much was really layered on top of itself. But as we're talking about the Book of Job, it's estimated that this is the first book ever written, according to the Bible. That they're not 100% sure like where it came from. You know, they believe that it was before Abraham. You know, but you know, just by the, the literacy and the way that it was written, and the you know the places that were in there, you know, and even their names were pre you know, Hebrew, pre-Israelite, you know, so there's things that in there that that's basically is stating that this is most likely the oldest book as far as the Bible is concerned, and yet it's kind of, when you flip it open, for those of us that like to do the magic eight ball Bible tricks, you know, you flip open almost to Job. You know, once upon a time, I was uh, still working in the tattoo shop when I got, first got sober, and I would go in there, and I would read the Bible, and I'd read the purpose-driven life, and People would walk in and be like, hey, what are you reading? I'm like, the Bible. I'm like, Whoa, you can't read that in here. Like, that's not safe. You know, and it's like, you know, God was really moving on me and I was reading the Bible. And one day, one of my friends came out and the Bible's sitting there on the counter and he grabs it and he just flips it open, you know, right to the middle, you know, and it lands in Job. And the verse that he wrote or read, the very first thing that he read is majestic snorting. He slams the book down. He's like, I like this book. He walks away. I'm like, out of all the verses, out of all the verses, he picks one about majestic snorting. I'm like, what? I don't know, whatever. You know, it could have been something real impactful. Nope, not. But anyway, you know, as you have read the book of Job or have never read the book of Job, you know, it starts in a very interesting way. You know, and it's really a literacy and how they're kind of breaking this stuff down. But what's really going on is a, an attack to a belief system. You know, when we don't really understand God, we accuse Him of everything that goes wrong. You know, we see that in our society today. You know, if there's a God, then why is this? And if that's a God, then why is that? And, you know, and you see these attacks upon, you know, God for all these different things that are taking place in this life. You know, and, you know, we all have a theology. You know, even that people that don't believe in the Lord, people that don't go to church, even an atheist has a theology. What's the theology? Their belief system about God. In most of us growing up, whether we were in church or not in church, our theology is woven through our life experience. So even if we do believe in, in the Lord, even if we grew up in, in Christian churches, and, and I know that some of us in here didn't, and some of us grew up in different religions, and some of us grew up out of church altogether, and some of us grew up this, and some of us grew up that. So you know our our parents are teaching us that there's this God and here's Santa Claus and life experience, and don't tell them this and don't share that and you know and, and do what I say, but not what i do and you know and, and all these different things as kids we're picking up you know our parents tell us to tell the truth, but then we see them lying all the time you know we we We, we pick up all these different things as kids and it's woven into our theology you know and you know, Job goes through this catastrophic event. Like, if you're really reading it, it's like, it's unbelievable. Like, he loses everything he owns in a matter of seconds, you know, because, you know, it, you know, he loses his, you know, all of his sheep, all of his, you know, herds. And the guy comes and shows up and says, hey, you lost all your stuff. And, and then as he's trying to deal with that, somebody else walks through the door and be like, your whole family was killed. And as he's dealing with that, somebody else walks through the door and says, you know, Everything's been wiped out. You know, and and like, he still didn't curse God. You know, God considered him a a righteous man. You know, and he's struggling with life on life's terms. You know, situations in our lives happen in in ways that are out of our control. You know, many of us have had pretty crazy childhoods, many of us have had traumas in, in many different ways as we grew up. You know, but <clears throat> what Job really struggled with is that if God is just, then why is this happening to me? Because I've been behaving myself. You know, and we struggle with that sometimes that, you know, we start doing the right things and then something happens that's out of our control and then we start reminding God how good we've been. You know, see, Job has this assumption that that God and justice are connected. So good equals prosperity and blessing, and bad equals punishment and suffering. And we still struggle with that today. So we think that if I believe in Jesus, or I'm getting sober, and I'm behaving myself, and I'm not doing the things that I used to do, then everything should, all my ducks should get in a row, and prosperity and blessing should come my way, but that's not necessarily true. You know, and... And what really is screwed up is that when we see people that are living in sin and we see the drug dealers prospering and we see you know, people in other faiths, faiths prospering and we're like, I'm over here believing in you, Jesus, and look at what's happening over there. You know, and we get our eyes on the wrong things. you know, This is a distorted understanding. You know, and his friends come along and try to convince him that he's messing up somehow. What wonderful friends they are! In Job 15:17, it says, "But consider the joy of of those corrected by God. Do not despise the dis- discipline of the Almighty when you sin." Now, this is a true statement, but yet here's Job's friend accusing him of being in sin when he wasn't. Technically, you know, he was behaving himself, you know, and God was kind of, you know, proving a point that that Job is a righteous man and he's going to go through difficult things and and not you know curse me and praise me through it. You know, there's times that we have people that like to give us their input into our lives and they don't really understand the complete story, do they? Mm-hmm. You know, and guess what? I've been guilty of that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, that we cast judgment on people and we don't understand the full story. You know, and Job's response You know, in 629, it says, Stop assuming my guilt, for I have done nothing wrong. You know, and there's times, you know, that we get into these heated battles with our friends. You know, that you're doing something wrong. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. You know, none of us have had those conversations ever. None of us in here. You know, and um, see, not all pain that we go through means that I'm in sin not every suffering that i go through equals sin. You know, and we have this mindset and it's really this religious mindset that we go through when you're bad you're going to hell. You know, and most of us have heard that statement at some point in our lives and we're like, well, guess what? I'm not going to be good any time today and since i'm going to hell, i'm going go to go hell and blaze the glory, you know? And, and we went running in the wrong direction because there was no hope for me to turn the corner of being righteous. Because I knew that I was a bad kid. You know, see, the question is, is God just and can I trust him? See, we struggle with trust. Many of us believe. You know, if we were to walk through Utica, even though there's all these different populations from all around the world and they bring their own belief systems with them, for the majority of America, states they're they're Christians. And we're like, wait a minute, How? You know, I would say that I was a Christian as a teenager, but I didn't know God just because I I got dragged to church by my mom. You know, I would say that I was guilty by association and I go to church, then I must be a Christian, right? You know, and what I've learned is that trusting God is really the most difficult thing that we have. You know, have to do that. All sorts of different populations believe in God. You know, a very atheism is a very small component, and it's really just an American thing. You know, and, you know, we've started infected Europe and all these different places, but every culture around the world believes in God of some sort, you know. But just because I believe in God, can I trust Him? You know, can I trust Him when I go through difficult things? You know, and I know that I'm guilty of this, and I, I imagine that some of us are, You know, and I can see it here in in the text. You know, in Job seven seven, you know, he's going through all this painful stuff, and he's like, "Oh God, remember that my life is just a breath." Like we have to remind God that you know of the things that are going on in my life. Like God, I've been reading my Bible, and I've been behaving, and I haven't smoked crack today, and (laughs) I have all these excuses of why He should not be allowing suffering to happen in my life because I'm really behaving myself pretty well, God. How dare you, God? And what's really happening is we elevate ourselves above him and we think that we know the best outcome of what should be happening in our lives. And truth be told, I'm very horrible at that. You know, how often do we remind God he's messing it up? You know, I'm only here for a little time, God. You know, I only got so many years. Like, I should be married by now. And I shouldn't have this problem with my finances by now. And this car should be working better. I've paid money for it. You know, what's going on here? And God, why are you letting these things happen to me? Because I'm the center of the universe, don't you know? But each one of us struggles with this. We have a God from our understanding, our theology. We are the center of that. And until we put Christ in the center, we're constantly battling for lordship. We can believe in God, but yet we want to help him dictate our own lives. But I know for me, and I can only speak for me, and probably speak for a couple of you because I know you, that I do a horrible job at running my own life. I have a 100% track record of destroying everything I touch.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Everything I touch. If I do it my way, my will, my manipulative, controlling, crazy, sadistic mind gets a plot and a plan and a scheme and I try to carry that thing out, destruction is happening to me and anyone that's close. But yet, I want to still be in control. Because I'm going through something and God doesn't quite understand how big of a deal this is. And if he really understood and really loved me, then this should not be happening. But yet he's God, and we see in the text, which is crazy, right? Because every book of the Bible has Jesus in it. So here's a book that's estimated to be written before Abraham, before Moses was even a thought. And we see in Job 9.33, if only there was a mediator between us, someone that could bring us together, a mediator could make God stop beating me, and I would no longer live in terror of this punishment. If we only had a mediator. The problem is, is that Jesus is our mediator, but we don't always like what he has to say. We don't always like what he wants us to do. He, we don't always like what he wants us to stop doing. We don't always like his word, so we, we just close it. We just, I have a Bible, and it's pretty right over there because it tells me <laughs> things I don't like. You know? How often, when we're going through a hard time, where do we turn? Psalms. Because so we need to hear some imo- motivational thinking. You know, but if you really read through the Psalms, you see David's convictions of his sin. But we're like, flip that you know, we don't like that page. We just (laughs) move on. Like, blessed is my soul. Yeah, I like that one. You know, but we have to learn to trust him. We have to learn to trust him. In Job 19:25, it says, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. He will stand upon this earth at last. And after my body has decayed yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at that thought. Everybody here believes in Jesus. But what we believe about Jesus needs to be adjusted. You know, everyone who's in here would say I'm going to heaven. But I guarantee that we get a handful of different reasons why we're going to heaven or how we're going to get there. Because why? We haven't spent a lot of time in this thing. So we don't really know how this all works. But our Redeemer does live. He lives today. He did walk on this earth. He is moving on this earth right now. He's moving in and throughout this, this room. He was moving during worship. He's moving during this teaching. It's not me. It's the Holy Spirit. Our Redeemer lives. And yet we struggle to trust in Him. I can't imagine people that have a dead faith and that they, they pray more than we pray and they do crazy, sadistic things in the name of their God. Yet we have access to the Holy Spirit and most of us in here have had encounters with the Holy Spirit, but when I want to do what I want to do, the last place I want to turn is the one that's going to tell me how to change because I'm not ready to change because I like my sin. It feels good. I like it. They're cute. You know, Joe was talking with the wrong people. Even our friends and families can get confused. That if we're talking to the wrong people and we have the wrong voices in our ears, Even though we have faith, even though we say my Redeemer lives, even though we say that I'm a devout Christian, I believe in Jesus, even though I'm going to church, even though I'm going to GZM, even though I'm staying sober. You get the wrong person speaking in your ear, all of a sudden using sounds like a great idea. All of a sudden sin that I said that I was never going to do again sounds like a great idea. If I get in my own head with no accountability, I can convince myself to do some really stupid things. Stuff that I said that I wouldn't do anymore. And we have to be careful who we're allowing into our ears. what What we're watching. Is that really a big deal, Tom? I personally think it is. I know for me, and this is me, and you can take it for what it is. I changed what I was listening to. As soon as I got sober, all the music I used to listen to went in the garbage. Hundreds of dollars of CDs got trashed. And I started spending all the money that I was spending on cocaine going to FYE, picking up Christian music and be like, I hope this doesn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it sucks. That's going in the garbage too. We didn't have the opportunity, at least not back then, like YouTube and, and, and different you know, play stores where we can test out music before we buy it. You know, but I've spent so much money on the wrong stuff. What's the big deal that I spend 10 bucks on an album? And I started buying music because I had to find music that that fit me because music is such a big part of me that there's not a day that goes by that music isn't the prominent voice in my ear. And if I'm listening to the same hateful, angry, depressive, suicidal, addictive, talking about women in the appropriate way, talking about that money is the only thing that matters, my brain gets messed up. I'm trying to do the right thing, But I'm hearing all these voices talk about getting high and and mob and this and that and kill yourself and anger. ah, And it's like, here I am trying to do the right thing. But the voices that I'm letting in my ears are telling me all the wrong things. And for me, it was garbage in, garbage out. And I decided to change what I was listening to. You know, I, I was big on horror movies. And I remember the first time that I watched a horror movie that was really about killing people. And I'm crying watching this movie. The spirit in me was grieved by what I was watching. And I'm like, why the hell am I crying? Like I would have been really excited at watching this before because I'm sadistic. And God started showing me, like, that's a spirit of death, Tom. What are you watching that for? I'm like, well, it was entertainment. What's the big deal? It's just a movie. But yet, I can get sucked into certain movies or certain programming, and my mind gets twisted. What's the big deal? Well, if it's not a big deal, then why you got to watch it? Wait, wait. You don't reverse psychology me. (laughs) (laughs) I want what I want. If we allow the wrong voices in our head, we can get off focus real fast and we have to be, be paying attention. See, up to this point that Job was like, my redeemer lives and, you know, I believe in God and I've done nothing wrong. And then all of a sudden, because he's allowing the wrong voices in his life and he's not setting boundaries, he starts spinning a different tune. He starts asking God, why? Why are you doing this to me? In Job 10.2 it says, Don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge that you are bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me, God? Why do you reject me? The work of your own hands while you're smiling down at the schemes of the wicked. He starts accusing God How dare you do this to me? Tell me what, you've, what I've done wrong. Show me, God. Look at what you're allowing them to get away with, and yet you won't let me do this little thing. Well, they may not have Jesus, and I do. And technically that's between them and God, and this is between me and God. It doesn't matter what God's doing with somebody else. If I have to deal with what God's doing in me. You know, and we see this in the Gospels or we see this in, in Peter and John, that Peter is like, I'm going to chase after you. And he's like, you're going to deny me. He's like, no, I would never do that. And he's like, I denied him. How many times do we say that we're not going to deny the Lord and that we do with our actions and our lifestyles? I mean, how many times are we put in a situation that someone's, you know, mocking Jesus and we don't stand up? How many times that somebody says that, you know, church is stupid or Redeemer's this or blah, 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 blah. And we're like, eh, not getting in this one. We deny them all the time. And yet, at the end, when, when Jesus is restoring Peter, and he tells, you know, Peter, he's going to have to suffer. He's like, well, what about John? He's like, what about John? I can make him live forever. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, that's not the answer I want God knows the heart of every single matter, of every single individual. He knows exactly what we need to go through to find freedom. And there's times that people can be walking right next to us and have a completely different story, and we're like, well, why are they having this? Because He knows what's going on in their life, just like He knows what's going on in mine, just like He knows what's going on in you. And He he gets us to this place where He is all that we have. Every one of us has had a moment where there's nothing in our lives. Everything has been stripped. And if we don't hang on to Jesus right now, we have more to lose. And yet, there's times that we are willing to lose more because we're in a fight with God because we want to be right. And yet, we get kicking and screaming and dragged in the wrong direction because our pride and our ego are in the way. And we we refuse to submit ourselves and change because I'm hanging on to this because I know that this isn't a big deal yet but we can get in our word and we know that it's actually opposing us and we can't avoid it. Job in 13.23, it says, what have I done wrong? Show me my rebellion and my sin. Why do you turn away from me? Why do you treat me as your enemy, God? How many times have we accused them? I know I have. It's our instant response when our self is being grinded down. Our selfishness, our money, our flesh is getting tested or is getting broken or we're supposed to deny it. It hurts. When our gods get trumped by the God, we have this issue because we're trying to keep our idols alive. And God comes in and shows us exactly what has to, to take place. You know. And in our efforts to try to do it in our own strength, because I know I'm guilty of it, and I watch others guilty of it, then I'm going to do it my way in Jesus' name. And Jesus is like, oh, sweet. Let's see how this works. And then it doesn't work out. I'm like, God, I'm trying to do the right thing. It wasn't that bad this time. Look at what I used to do. I'm to just give me a little bit. Why you got to take everything? He's like, I should be everything. But yet we haven't allowed the Lord to be our everything, so He constantly challenges those things that are our everything, so that He can be our everything. Some people don't know this, and the only reason I know it is because I studied it, that when Moses was in Egypt telling the Pharaoh, who they considered God, that he was to let the people go. And he's like, no, that's not happening. That every single one of the ten plagues was defeating one of, 10, one of the ten Egyptian gods. So basically God was saying, down with this one, 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 and I am more powerful than any one of your idols. I am more powerful than all of your gods. I'm the only one that can bring satisfaction to you. And he does the same thing to us. He breaks off addiction. He breaks off this. He breaks off relationships. He breaks off lust. He breaks off money. He breaks off the thing that we hold most dear that isn't Jesus. He challenges it because he's a jealous God. And we fight him because we're trying to be lords of our own life. But as he's accusing God, in Job 19.6, it says, It is God who has wronged me, capturing me in this net. I cry out for help, but no one answers me. I protest. There is no justice. I don't know about you, but I've done this. Like, God, why are you doing this to me? God, you're wronging me my stupid little saying back in the day, you can wave your little pinky at this and make it happen. And I get so angry because I had to trust him. I had to trust him with money. I had to trust him with my future. I had to trust him with relationships. I had to trust him with everything. And it it would make me so angry because I don't know how to trust. Job 30, 21, it says, you have become cruel to me. You use your power to persecute me, God. In Job 31:35 it says if only someone would listen to me. <laughs> I will sign my name to my defense. Let the almighty answer me. Let my accuser write out my charges against me. I will face my accuser proudly. I will wear it like a crown. I will tell him exactly what I have done. I will come before him like a prince. And up until this point, Job, you know, God's tolerating Job. But now he's raising himself above God. Listen to me. Who, who is God to accuse me? I will face my accusations proudly. I will raise myself up like a prince. And God's like, oh, really? No. You were doing okay until your mouth ran too much. How often has our mouths gotten us in trouble? How often is pride and ego just... And we're like, I shouldn't have said that. It's too late. I'm just going to run with it. (laughs) It's like... You know, our Bible tells us that pride comes before the fall. The second I think that I can do this without God, the second I think I can do this without help, the second I think that I can do it my way and not his, the second that I am elevating myself above his way, there is going to be a fall. You know, and something that was taught to me as an early leader is that, Tom, you can humble yourself and that one day God will exalt you. Or you can try to exalt yourself and God will be sure to to humble you. You know, I, I struggle with pride and ego just like the rest of us. But I learned a long time ago, if I keep my mouth shut, at least I can keep the pride and the ego inside and then I can get Jesus in there a little bit sooner. But the second I let the pride out, I can't get it back as easily. So I can arrest thoughts. I can't arrest things I've already said. You know, we will have to lay ourselves down, turn our will over a thousand times a day sometimes. It's not a one-time deal. You know, I hear people, I work my steps. Really? That's interesting. Because I need to work them on a regular basis. I need to turn my will over. I need to trust God. I need to stop trying to gain power and manipulate and be in control and manage my life. It's not just alcohol and drugs. I try to manage everything and I do a horrible job at it. I'm powerless over everything. God can restore me. Why don't I let him? Because I want to be in charge. First, second, third step. Every day, it just manifests itself. Character defects. Got some? Yes. Do I need to surrender them? Am I ready to let them go? No. Do I need to pray some more? Yes. Am I humble? No. Do I have an offense? Yes. Am I willing to deal with it? No. You know, like, am I praying and meditating on God's will? No, I'm trying to get God to do my will. Am I helping anybody now that I have some Jesus? No, not really, because I'm too busy. Oh wait, 12 steps. Just narrow it down in five seconds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We all got work to do. I got work to do. The steps is a tool. There's many tools out there. It's not the only tool. There's many tools. It's just been an effective tool to help m- millions of people find freedom. But see, is God just in these moments? Can we trust Him when we're going through difficult times and we don't understand why God is allowing certain things to happen and we take offense to what He's allowing to happen? So when we go through this pain and the suffering, where is God? See, something happens here that I didn't see before I studied this the last time. You know, Job just had a hard day of it, you know, and then at the end of his life, he got double. Sweet. You know, just keep it moving. There's like 47 million chapters of this book. Like, I'm just done with listening to Job whine. But when you really kind of look at what happens, that right after Job's pride, God shows up. In Job 38.1, it says, The Lord entered Job in a whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom in such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me you know so much. I don't know about you, but the second that God shows up and starts like, asking questions like this, it's like, oh no. You know, And there are times that God has rebuked me because I get off in my head and I think that I'm right and my ego is trying to run and God's like, who are you? I remember as a very young leader, I've been doing Celebrate Recovery for just a short amount of time. And I honestly don't remember the circumstances. It's probably better that way. But I remember in my codependency, I wanted to be in control. You know, and I knew, right, I know, I know what I'm talking about. And I was upset. Something was happening. I've tried to figure it out and I can't. It's a blank. But I remember driving to the church because I'm so upset. And I walked in the sanctuary and the first thing I said is, God, they're not listening to me. And the first thing that he said, he's like, they didn't listen to me. Who do you think you are? (laughs) And it was like, I was upset and enraged and I was crying. And the second I said that and the second he said that, I was like, stop. Like, temper tantrum over. (laughs) God can speak into our situation in such a way that just adjusts us. And we need that. If we're not talking to him, if we're not praying, if we're not getting into our word, we get running in our own thoughts and feelings, we can end up in crazy places. But when we bring that emotion and pain to the Lord, he may not speak exactly when we want him to because he's God and he gets to do what he wants. And he probably knows that we need to get something worked out real quick. So we withhold a little bit and let's kind of try to do it our own way, flop on the ground. Temper tantrums, kick and scream, tell him how much we know. And then he speaks into a situation and we instantly get adjusted. Mm-hmm. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, yes. <laughs> happened today. Thank you very much. <laughs> God again speaks to him, will you discredit me and my justice to con- and condemn me just to prove that you're right? How often do we try to twist things to try to be right with God? <sighs> no, never. Not me. But see, Job has this encounter with God and he was never the same. And how do we know that he was never the same? Is because we hear it in, his, in this text. We hear it in his voice. How do we know when someone's really met Jesus? How do we know when things are beginning to change? There's one word, and it's called repentance. Many of us believe in God, but we have yet to really repent because we're still trying to get our will done. And maybe we've repented, but now we're back doing stuff. See, when we have an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it brings out repentance in us. And that's how you know the spiritual health of someone is are they really repenting? Or are they still trying to do their own thing? See, Job has this encounter with God and repentance comes. He says, I've only heard about you. I've only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything that I had said and I'll sit here in the dust and ashes and I will show my repentance. Many of us, growing up, we only had a belief system because people were telling us about God. And I know for me, when I was in my early 30s, when I showed up at the church, broken, coming off another relapse. And I heard the message of Christ, like for the first time. Even though I spent all of my years growing up, going to church, I'd never heard it. But all of a sudden I'm hearing this loving message of a Redeemer who can set me free from myself and from my past and from my sins. And there's nothing that I could ever have done that could push him away from me. There's nothing that I could have ever done that would make him not forgive me if I would just ask him. And I remember they're just weeping. And it can't be that easy. And I remember fighting with the people that were around me. Like, no, I have to prove that I'm going to change. I'm like, no, just ask Jesus to change you. Like, no, I have to prove that I'm going to change. I'm like, no, just ask him. I'm like, no, I have to prove that I'm going to change. I'm like, idiot. Below, Jesus is going to set you free if you just ask Him. But yet we want to prove it because we look at God in a man's perspective and we think that God can only forgive me the way I would forgive someone else. And we put human limitations on a supernatural God. That the second we ask Him to forgive us of anything that we've done wrong, because of the blood of Jesus, that sin has been wiped away. From that point forward, we have to work through our pride and our ego in beginning to forgive ourselves. But as far as God is concerned, because of what Jesus has done, our sin has been covered. Repentance is a key component for us to change. We cannot do it without it. I know for me, that all the sins that I carried for my whole life until I came to Jesus brought on all the anxiety and brought on all the depression and brought on all the mental illness and brought on all this. Now, I'm not trying to to say that that stuff's not real, because it is. But Jesus is the solution to whatever it is we're going through. And we need to take our pain and our suffering to the cross. And it doesn't instantaneously go. Some things may. There is suddenly that Jesus can come in in a moment and boom, something's changed and I feel it and I know it. There's other areas that have been ingrained in us since we were little kids that we have to begin to learn how to live a different way. We have to learn, according to the Word of God, how to handle certain situations because we don't know how to do it. We have no no basis on it. Our parents did not teach us this. See, is God just and can we trust Him? When we go through these pain and suffering in this crazy life, see in First Timothy two five it says there is one God and one mediator, and He who came to reconcile God to humanity, and His name is Jesus Christ, and He gave His life as a purchase for our freedom for everyone. See, the question is: is Have you really encountered God, or do you just believe? Because I run into Christians all the time who believe. But they've never really encountered God and their lifestyles show that there isn't a lot of change in who they are and what they're doing because they have yet to seek God about what they're doing. But I know for me that when he came into my life in my early 30s, there was the no not denying the fact that God was real. Prior to that, I was not sure. Yeah, we go to church because that's what you do. But I have never had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. See, we need to trust God because we know who He is. He's justified through us laying down our lives. See, God's encounter with Job changed his perspective. God's encounter with us changes our perspective. In 2 Corinthians 5.16 it says, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time we thought, that Christ was merely, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone and the new life has begun. I know for me that I just thought Jesus was church. I know now that Jesus is Jesus. Church is church. Technically, I'm the church. And Jesus lives within me. Growing up, you went to church. And Jesus gave you presents on Christmas. And the Easter Bunny on Easter. I don't understand that. How Jesus and the Easter Bunny and Santa Claus all got along, they must have hung out somewhere. Some say the North Pole. The Cadbury ad commercial is really confusing. <laughs> Because we don't know. We don't know because we haven't spent time trying to know. I know when I began to finally read this thing, I went to Pastor Mike and I had my Bible in my hand and I was dead serious. I'm like, do Christians actually read this book because I've never never met anybody that acts like this? And he kind of looked at me like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, no, seriously, like Christians suck. You know, we've all run into a Christian that makes us not want God. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And if we haven't, maybe we're the person. Mm -hmm. I know that when I read this book, Jesus challenges me on a regular basis and I'm not doing it perfect and I need work. and My life needs to change and my mind needs to change and my heart needs to change because this Bible is not a club. We're not supposed to beat people with it. It's a mirror. I'm supposed to be able to look in it and see Jesus. And I don't. So that means I need to keep reading it and keep praying and keep asking for help and keep surrendering keep humbling myself before Him. Because this isn't about being perfect because we'll never be perfect. We'll never be Jesus. We will not wake up tomorrow and say, yeah, I got this Christianity stuff down. There's always going to be something to work on. Well, I'm in my process. Well, that can be true, and it also can be an excuse. And that's between you and God. And if you ask me, I'll tell you the truth, what I think. But it doesn't matter. I'm faithful to tell you the truth. <clears throat> see, this verse has wrecked me in more ways than one, and it's wrecked me several times throughout my walk with him. And it's Romans five. Romans five three it says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know they will help us to develop endurance. That endurance will develop strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope for our salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because He has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with love. See, I never got this. Anytime you go through something, someone sends you this verse or the verse in James. Count it all joy when you go through trials and tribulations. Like, you send me that verse one more time, I'm beating you. (laughs) And it was a couple of years ago when the Holy Spirit finally made sense of it. That he uses trials and tribulations to bring us close to him. Because in my own efforts, I will live the best that I can believing in God but apart from God. And he uses pain and suffering to bring us close again. Because I'm a knucklehead and I, don't, I think I can do it without him. See, as we run into problems and trials, it develops an endurance in us. I can only speak for myself, although I'm going to speak for you too, is that every one of us in here is a runner. We run from our trials, we run from our problems, we will end up in different states, we will end up in different continents if possible. We've tried it, we've done it. But wherever I go, I take myself with me and I recreate my problems.
1: Mm.
0: We've tried the geographical change. i tried the geographical change. I left Binghamton to come to Utica. Guess what I did? I redid everything in Utica that I was doing in Binghamton. Why? Because I didn't change. And he first gives us him and then we go through difficult times because he wants us to get close to him and not just go through the motions of believing in him that he wants to strengthen our character, and we're like, "God, leave my character alone. It's fine." I'm like, "Really? No, no, really? No, God, I don't want to work on that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to let go of that." And he's like, "I thought you were entirely ready. Right. I thought we worked our steps. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We skipped that one. Remember?
1: Uh-huh.
0: Like, because I didn't really do an honest and thorough four step." Because I didn't want to really deal with all the, the dark stuff. Because I didn't really want to let you in there. Because if I shine light on that, I don't know what's going to happen. He's like, but I'm Jesus. And like, I know you're Jesus, but yet, yet, yet. We have all these excuses of why we won't let Jesus into the most painful places of our past. Because then it takes away my excuses to keep doing what I want to do. And it's not really serve Jesus, it's served my flesh. So it gives us trials and tribulations over and over again to help us to see that doing it our way doesn't work. And as we go through these trials and tribulations, I have to press into Jesus. He works on my endurance. He works on my character. And I pop out the other side of my trial and tribulations a little bit more like Jesus than I did when I started. Or I run from it. And guess what? I get to do it all over again. How many times have we been around the same mountain because we aren't willing to do it Jesus' way? A couple, two, three? A couple years? We're all guilty. But see, he gives us this confident hope. And he doesn't disappoint. Every time that we do it his way, has he ever disappointed us? I can say absolutely not. I can tell him a hundred million ways why this is not going to work. And then when I finally do it, I'm like, damn it, it worked. That means I'm going to have to do it next time. Why can't I just be right once, God? He's like, do you really want to be right? No, I don't want to be right. I just want to do what I want to do and you'll be okay with it. But that sin, I know, but my sin's different than everyone else's
1: because I like it a lot.
0: (laughs) He wants to change our lives into the best life that we could possibly ever know. He created us from within the womb. He has a purpose and a destiny for each and every one of us. But we constantly want what we want and we don't agree that God has something good for us because we don't really know him. And the more that we get to know him, we start to realize that his purpose for our life is way better than we could have ever came up with. And it becomes easier to go through these trials and tribulations and trust him because we lay it down quicker. It doesn't mean that I don't hang on to it. It doesn't mean that you don't hang on to it. But we get a little bit further. No, 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 I know where this is headed. And we come back to him and we lay it down. Because he fills our hearts with his love. Most of us in here. Most people in recovery, most people that end up in church for the first time in many years, don't walk in on a winning streak. Like, yeah, I think today I'm going to get sober and go to church. Mm -hmm. Things have been going really well for me lately, and I think that it's now time to show Jesus how good I am. Mm -hmm. That's not the train of thought. It's like, my life is absolutely broken, and I don't know what else to do, so I start reaching out for recovering God. So fear of more pain can point us in the right direction, but it'll never keep us in the right direction because we're stubborn and we have that built-in forgetter that how bad our addiction was and what we lost last time, we're going to lose it again and we might get locked up and we might lose our family and we might lose our job, we might lose our life, but we don't really care anyway. Mm -hmm. The only thing that keeps us is His love. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: There's been so many times that I want to run away. I mean, it's too hard to count. How many times I wanted to quit doing this. How many times I wanted to leave. How many times I wanted to walk away from Redeemer. How many times I was going to go to Bible college. Because I'm going to figure out God. And God's like I got you. And I'm like shut up God. I'm trying to figure this out. over you're doing it my way. And he's like you can do it if you want, but it's going to be painful. How many temper tantrums I've had. In the process. As God is refining me. How many temper tantrums have we had as the Lord has been pressing on us and changing us into a, a better version of ourselves that are more Christ-like? And every time I'm about to leave, I always hear the same thing. Do you trust me? And everything in my life is, is showing No. But the Holy Spirit in me somehow musters the word, yes, I trust you. And every time, he says, sit still. And every time, I get really pissed off. Because I don't want to do it his way. I don't want trust to be the answer. I want my will to be accomplished so I feel better. That from this, there was a prayer that was manifested out of me because I really didn't know what else to say. And it's, I trust you, Jesus. It's just simple. And every time I'm saying this in my life, to everything going on in my emotions and in my brain is absolutely not trusting Jesus. And I'm trying to convince myself to trust Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Everything inside me wants to run away at a million miles an hour. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Because it feels like this impending doom is coming and my life is being ripped apart. And I'm believing my emotions and the enemy's getting in there. And I just have to sit still for just a minute and say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Because he's never let me down. He's never let any one of us in this room down. My perception of God has let me down. But Jesus and Jesus' will has never let us die. We may not understand everything that takes place in our lives. But we're not God. We did not lay the foundations of the earth. But he has a purpose for all of our pain. He works it all together for good. If you told me as a junior high kid. If you told me as a young kid. As I was getting molested and getting beaten and getting Rejected and thrown downstairs, and everything that we went through as children. If you would have told us that Jesus was going to move in our lives as we were adults, we'd be like, no way, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. If you, there's no way you can convince me that this would be my life today. There is no way that you could have paid me back then to even attempt this to be my life. I did not want anything to do with religion. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus because I didn't understand it. But in my own brokenness, I've come before him hundreds of times and saying, God, I can't do this my way anymore. It's not working. Well, trust me, Tom. Why was the trust? Why do you come back with a stupid trust word over and over and over again? Because it's the only way through. It's his will or our will. which one do we choose? I don't know about you, my will doesn't work. I'm convinced that my will will never work. But in that crunch moment, I try to escape. I try to manifest my own will. Why? Because I don't know how to trust anybody but myself, but yet I'm the worst person to do to make decisions. There's nobody on this earth that's done more stupid stuff for me than me. But yet, I'm the one that wants to run the show. Like, hello, McFly, are you in there? (laughs) The God of the universe is moving in our lives, but yet we reject him on a regular basis. Because it's difficult, or I don't know to trust, or I'm not really sure. It's like, how much more clear do I need to make it? Like, really, really clear. Okay, it's really, really clear, but... We have to learn to trust. And how we learn to trust is we go through difficult things that forces us to trust. Anybody can trust Jesus when everything is going right. Can we really trust him when things are going crazy? That's what trust is really built. Every one of us, including myself, has to work on this. I am not standing up here saying that I got it all figured out because I constantly am talking with them and I constantly am saying the same thing. I trust you, I trust you, I trust you. My emotions, my insecurity, things that are going on in my life, that the places that I'm headed, it's like, are you sure you have the right person? Do you know me? Where once my pride and my ego were like, yeah, I'm the greatest. And now I'm like, I don't know he's like, yeah, yeah, you're good. There's there's times that fear just tries to come in like a flood. And what do we do with it? We have to speak the word over it. We have to trust. What I, I picked out at the end of this is that God approved of Job. Even though we just watched him or heard that he was rebuking him, it's God approves of Job in his wrestling to fight forward, to not give up, to not go backwards. That wanting the right answers. Every one of us has our own personal struggles right now. Don't run. You can't lose if you don't quit. Borrow my prayer. Because it wasn't mine to begin with. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. And I guarantee that tears will begin to flow down your face. Because your emotions inside you are screaming run. But your Holy Spirit that's inside of each one of us is proclaiming faith. That you can trust him. No matter what we go through, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. We have to keep in constant communication with him. We have to trust that his will will take care of us. He will guide us out of the pain. And no matter what, don't give up. Some of us have no options. I can't go back. I can't go back. And something that happened in my very first moment of a decision to try to go this direction. I was higher in a kite when I said it, but I've stuck to it all these years. I'm gonna do whatever it takes. And some of us have to get that resolve inside of us because if it was chasing a hit, if it's chasing a dealer, if it's chasing a high, if it's chasing a drunk, if it's chasing sin, I will literally do whatever it takes. I know how to do whatever it takes. I've sacrificed everything in my life doing whatever it takes and I have to learn how to tap into that spiritually that tenacity that we all have we have to learn how to tap into it spiritually and chase Jesus the same way we've chased other things because I don't give up when I want it bad enough none of us do the problem is is I know what happens when he hands me that bag I have no idea what Jesus has in store for me. The only way that I know what Jesus has in store for me is if I pick up this book and I really begin to learn who he is and what he has in store for each and every one of us. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I, I thank you so much. I thank you for being you, that you don't give up on us, even though we're quick to give up on ourselves and you sometimes, Lord. I just ask that you would move in this room tonight. I ask that you would help each and every one of us take that next step mentally and spiritually. Lord, that when we go home tonight or we wake up tomorrow, there's a tenacity inside of us that says, not not anymore. I'm going to do whatever it takes. No one can make us make that decision. That we have to choose that decision. We have to proclaim that decision. And that we have to dig our heels in it. We have to use that stubbornness that we all have for the Lord. And we got to say, you know what, devil? I'm not giving in to you anymore. I'm not giving up this ground. I'm not letting you lie to me. I'm not letting you drag me this direction. I'm not doing this for the wrong reasons anymore. I can't afford it. Jesus, I need to grab a hold of you. I need to learn as much as I possibly can about you because I know that you have a better life for me. I know that you have great things in store for me. I know that there's going to be difficulties. I know there's going to be trials and tribulations, but I know that you're good. Because you've put your love inside my heart and I feel it. I feel your love for me. Help me to know that you'll never leave me. You'll never forsake me. I just thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've already done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, amen.